loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Melissa Lyons. Melissa is an award-winning author, speaker, and a seasoned entrepreneur. She's passionate about helping people connect with and embrace fresh perspectives when faced with loss or tragedy. Her debut book, I Will Always Love You, A Journey from Grief and Loss to Hope and Love, has helped thousands of people move forward with their lives. Her second book, Until We Meet Again, From Grief to Hope After Losing a Pet, is a heartwarming story of loss, unconditional love, and hope. Melissa also offers workshops and speaks on the power of pressing pause on Complicate Your Life. To learn more, you can visit her at melissa-lions.com. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks, Cheryl. It's great to be with you. Good to be with you, too. I would call you uh, slightly unusual in the sense that, as far as I can tell from, you know, investigating everything um, that's, that, that there is about you on your website and elsewhere, um, it wasn't a big death loss that brought you to this work. Is that correct? That is correct. And in fact, it took me a really long time to, to really even understand how my life t- turned into, into the life that it is now where I talk to people about grief and loss so often. So maybe you can, we can just start. Obviously, we'll get to talking about your books and the work you do and all that. But could you start with how you came to do it? Because I... It does seem to me it's a lost story, uh, the way that you came to it, but not a death story. So maybe you can share that with people. We could talk about that a bit. Yeah, well, I, you know, like a lot of us, I, I was going through my life, going through the motions and with everything just working out quite well on the outside, but in the inside, there was something missing, something really just not quite right. And so when I sold my business uh, in a few years ago, about four or five years ago now, I took some time off to sort of connect with that part of me that didn't seem to to be working working properly. And I thought after three months, I would just all of a sudden be able to to know exactly what was missing and, and what my life purpose was. And um, as close as I got to the end of that three months, um, the answer was, if you keep trying, it's going to take longer. And so I journaled and I meditated and I read and I spent just time introspective with introspective thoughts, things like that. And one day while I was journaling on a beach in Thailand, this first story, I Will Always Love You, found its way to my page word for word. And um, it, was, it was a miracle as far as I'm concerned. It, what what interests me about that is it's not your typical something terrible happens grief story. And yet you had kind of lost your life as you knew it, <laughs> you know, somewhat through intention. But then uh, grief didn't, or that transition after that didn't really unfold. You couldn't make it unfold the way you had envisioned it. It had its own, it, it had its own way, didn't it? 
that you had to give it longer, had you cut it off, you might not have gotten where you were going. Yeah, it was definitely a journey about surrendering and about trusting and and believing that there is um, something bigger than us guiding us and we just have to have faith. That's the first thing. And and the second thing is, you know, my background, I'm a trained MBA analytical person who, who set goals and, you know, work towards targets. And this process was about about exactly the opposite, about trusting in something that I couldn't see and believing that there was something more that was guiding me. And that's why there was that emptiness inside of me. And, you know, it was like, the best way to describe it is like trying to squeeze a handful of water. Like the harder you try, the less water you have in your hand, right? Mm, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. How true. <laughs> so, it's true, right? And, and the other thing that's interesting too is that, so I wrote that book in January of 2017 and it wasn't until sometime in March of 2018 that I understood what it meant to me. For everybody who read it and experienced it, it talked to them about their loss and their grief, but it was only then that I realized it was a sort of a letter to me from me, some part of me saying it's okay to let go of who I was and what I was holding on to and, and to move forward. And I can still love that person, but I don't have to be that person. Mm. Like permission to, to, to start over, to start fresh, and to be authentic, finally, with myself. And, and, you know, I'm looking at, I have the book in hand here, and I'm looking at it, and uh, what I would have to call it is a children's book, right? Um, in the sense that it's illustrated, and there are only a few words per page. I have grandchildren, you know, it's... Uh, it would be totally, my seven-year-old grandson could read this book himself. Um, And and yet, that is not how you talk about the books. You talk about them as sort of uh, for everyone. And that was interesting to me. Um, And so now it makes some sense to me because you're saying it was kind of a, a, a letter to your inner self that then turned into a book. Yeah, I guess, you know... As I went through all of my journals, and it was 30 months from when I when I embarked on my three-month mission um, till I actually You, you were just missing piece. a zero, huh? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I wonder, well, everything unfolds as, it's, as it should, and, and even if it doesn't, however it unfolds is, is the path you're on. And I'm glad that I didn't know right away because the book does comfort adults, and it is a gift that an adult gives to an adult, and not just a woman to a woman. It's um, a man to a man, a grandfather to a grandfather. Um, but it's simple. And, you know, Cheryl, when you're, when you're, when you're so sad or hopeless or, or, or whatever that grief feeling that you're going through is, sometimes you don't want to read a big old book. You want to feel comforted like you're a child. And I think that we become a child or our inner child needs to be really comforted as, no matter what, how old we are, especially if we lose a parent, you know? I do know. The other thing I thought was um, the timing on reading the book would have to be right. Um, in, in the sense that very, very, very early in grief, uh, people don't really want to hear it's going to get better. <laughs> you know, they, they don't yeah. generally want to hear about uh, what, what is in the future for them. Uh, I find that even with when I'm working with clients that um, I have to be very timely uh, 
about what I offer. And I wonder if you encounter that because I know you do work with people on their grief that there are, it may be determined by when they come to see you, <laughs> you know, more than anything. But do you, do you uh, feel a sense of timeliness about it? I, I do, and not sort of unfolded. And I just to clarify, I don't really work with people on grief. I actually, I don't even feel that I have, um, I don't have the, the training to work in grief. But where I think that my my um, my gifts lie in talking about hope and love and turning those emotions around. And you're right, it's when people are ready. Uh, but I've got two two things that I want to say about that. The first is that that's what it matters if it's a child's book or an adult's book. Um, that's the first part. One of the most beautiful stories was that this uh, a 12-year-old girl had lost her mom to cancer, and she was given the book at the funeral home. This this message came into me from an anonymous um, um, person who who sent the message to me, and uh, a stranger, I should say. And she said that they gave the girl, the, the young girl, the book. And that night, when everybody had left the funeral home, she pulled the chair up to her mom's casket, and she sat with her mom, and she read the story to her mom. Mm. And that was one of the most beautiful stories I've heard about how the book has fit into someone's life at an early stage. And maybe it's possible, I can imagine that, I, I know that my children were very realistic about the loss of my wife, uh, very, they were different with it than me or any of the other adults, uh, and maybe yeah. they wouldn't have had quite such a difficult time taking in uh, the message of, you know, go forward with her, Uh so I, I can imagine that as a possibility too, that that twelve-year-old yeah. was really able to go with go with it. Yeah, so that that is what I'm finding, and and you're right. I've I've I learned uh, unfortunately in a painful way that when people aren't ready for this book, they're really not ready for it. It has to come at the right time. Uh, but the power of pressing pause, which you mentioned in the introduction, that's that's the part where I find it helps people. Get, be ready for the book a bit sooner because in that I ask people to ask like if, if we turn it around which is what the power pressing pause is a lot of about it's like taking this moment and turning it completely around and saying how, how does it look from another perspective and it's like at me as a mom should something happen to me and now my two children are, are left without me um, how would I want them to react? What would I want for them? And what would I, what would I want their re- reaction to be? And if it's anything different than I'm reacting to my own grief, then I really need to look at what I'm doing and how I'm handling my life. Because I'm mm. setting an example for them and how they all grieve. And that actually gives you permission to try to look for hope a lot quicker. That's very interesting. I I recently, I may have even mentioned this on the show before, I recently was talking with my 38-year-old daughter about the impact. Her her dad died at 11. My wife died when she was 14. So she had a lot of loss in a few years. And um, I was asking her about the impact on her life. Actually, she brought it up, I, which was unusual. Usually, I'm the one bringing up the, <laughs> the grief and the death stuff. But she brought it up, and she said, you know, Mom, I find that I have, it, it's really been a benefit to me in, taking, in really making my life what I want it to be, and that my friends think they have forever. And I've never thought that. I've always thought I need to make my life 
good. I need to make good choices about what I want to engage in and what I want things to look like. And I thought that was um, an interesting thing to, uh, I could see the seeds of that and how she handled grief, but to hear it uh, as a conscious outgrowth was very meaningful to me. Because, of course, we parents do worry with with kids that have big losses, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. she had seen it more as a benefit than, than uh, and that's not to say she skipped grief or anything. It was very painful, but still she could see what she had made out of it. Yeah, it's interesting um, how people's lives unfold differently based on those, those tragic and traumatic events that they go through and how they, they make different choices. Do you have any, any sense, you know, for you, you had a few things in taking that pause, which in a sense is the same process. You couldn't get to kind of the good stuff immediately. You had to follow its timeline. Yes. Um, so that's similar but do you have any sense of what, now if either of us had the absolute answer to this, we'd bottle it and be rich, but <laughs> of what helps people to orient themselves towards making something out of what's happened in their lives, uh, towards letting the pause happen or letting the grief happen so that things can proceed? What, what are your thoughts about that? I think that, you know, you hear people say um, you have to hit rock bottom or, or something like that for things to change. And my, my feeling about that is you just need to get to a point where you just decide, is this how I want to live? I mean, I love what you said about, about your daughter. She said, my friends think they have forever, but I want to live the life. I want my life to be the way I want it to be. And so it's, it's giving yourself permission to know that you're worthy of living a life you want. And, and the happier you can make yourself and the more... Um, at peace you are with where you are, the better everyone around you is. And so if, if you can find a way to see that by making yourself, lifting yourself to, a, you know, a higher frequency or a higher vibration, how, whatever words you want to say, where you just feel better about everything around you, everybody around you is better. And so, so that's what I think has to happen. People have to decide that they want more, that they, that they deserve more, that they're worthy of more. And that everybody else, that it's not selfish, that it's actually going to help everybody by giving themselves more. And then I think you, you, settle, you, 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 you start to set your intentions and you deliberately choose things. And you decide that every moment is a fresh start. You don't have to wait till the beginning of the month or the beginning of the year or the beginning of the week. It's like this exact moment. And if I miss this one, there's one coming right up after it and I can start over. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I, I know that there are uh, one thing that I focus on a lot which I, I hear in your story is um, you, first you have to surrender, do what you can and make the choices you can make and also surrender to the timing, uh, which you did in a huge way. Uh, and, and you had the ability to do that, uh, especially financially, because you'd sold your business, Yes. Because uh, 30 months and three months are radically different amounts of time. Um, how do you think people can go in that direction when they don't have that backup 
because, of course, I encounter that all the time. People are having to go back to jobs that aren't right for them, but they need to have an income. And, you know, they they really get stopped up on their way to what they envision for their lives. Yeah, that was a real tough one for me, too. Um I did have I did have money from selling my business, um, and I'm and I'm married, and so I had the help of a supporting spouse. But but that didn't necessarily wasn't enough. But what I committed to after that three months, so I had enough for three months. But the three to thirty months, so it was twenty seven months, I had to earn a living. But I committed to not committing to a career per se. I found different things that I could do that still allowed me to do what I needed to do. Um, so I had to work harder and I had to work differently and I, and I had to really trust, um, I used the reserves of my, my retirement savings, uh, which is very risky, um, and didn't come without a lot of, um, a lot of stress in my life making that decision, not stress for me, but stress on the relationship. But I, I believed, I believed that there was something more for me and I, and I just wanted to find peace in my heart. That's that's a very familiar a familiar thing to me from interviewing people for five years now. Um, this sense of uh, just having a strong intuition about continuing to go, even though you don't know quite where you're going, and that everything sort of has to line up behind that. And and I'm glad to add the piece about you know having to do what you have to do to survive. Um, in the meantime, but keeping that sort of under underlying focus, that seems important because I think I do hear from a lot of people, well, I can't really go in that direction because, you know, I need to make a living, I need money, and, you know, um, a lot of things we tell ourselves that hold us back from maybe what would feel like a calling to us. Yeah, that... It's true, and and you use surrender first in in our conversation, but it's such a key because if I would have committed to a job or a a, a career anywhere, and I had opportunities, um, there were lots I could do. As soon as as I would make that commitment to something, first of all, I wouldn't do it because I I know I'd be letting that person down because my heart isn't in it. Mm. And the second thing is, is I'm saying to the universe, I don't believe you have something better for me, so I'm going to do this. And it's like a two-way street, right? It, it's almost like you, you can't expect to get what you're to find your passion and your purpose if you're not willing to stay open to it. Hmm. You know, it's like That's, it's like being in a relationship with someone and only giving them half, only trusting <laughs> them halfway, but expecting them to give you what you want. Like that doesn't have a lot. Of, there's no longevity in that. Let's let's talk more about that after the break. It's time for our first break, but that's uh, that idea of. Um, you know, the relationship with ourselves where we trust where we're going seems very intriguing. Let's let's come back to that after the break. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. There's also a link at the top to a novel I've written about a mother and daughter who are estranged and trying to find their way back to each other. Uh Please engage with my social media, like me, follow me, all of that good stuff. And to find Melissa Lyons, go to www.melissa-lyons.com. Be back soon.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Melissa Lyons uh, about her work with change and also about the two books that she's written, I Will Always Love You and Until We Meet Again, that are intended to support during grief. And before the break, Melissa, we were talking about how, uh, in a way, you have if when you trust the process inside of yourself it's almost like giving 100% to a relationship that there's some some kind of reciprocal process there and that was an intriguing way to put it in my mind do you want to say a little more about that because i realized that i i had to stay focused um you know and there's no no guarantee no guarantee at all financially or emotionally that it's that it's going to take you where you want to go, but you can't expect to go there if you're not like moving in that direction. So, yeah, you you can't you can't try to fly east looking west, you know. <laughs> yeah, like it just doesn't work. You're going to go the way you're looking, and so if you're not looking at at what you want, and you're looking at what you're afraid of, you're going to go towards what you're afraid of. 
It's intriguing to me, though, that you're you're describing yourself as kind of a business MBA, goal oriented sort of person, right? And then you had this period where that didn't work for you anymore. But I wonder if there's anything that prepared you in some ways for that not being the end all and be all. Um, because I, I find often we don't know that we're preparing for something that we actually are in some ways. Like if I think of my myself, um, I was I was learning how to have rough feelings. I did therapy before my wife was sick and you know, I had a, a little bit of a head start on all the difficulties of that circumstance when I look back at it. Uh, I wonder about you. Uh, I, I, well, there's no doubt, like, every, every situation that we went through and every decision we made brought us to exactly where we are, which is where we should be. Like, you, you have to, that's the first part of surrendering, right, is, is, is to believe that's true because it's what happened. So it's obviously true. So yeah, I think that my the things that I did brought me to this point, but um, I don't think I ever was doing anything that resonated with me. It was kind of like I was working against, I remember being in high school and, and picking a vocation, saying what I wanted to do, and um, my, my parents said, oh, you can't be that because you're too smart. You're going to go to university. And then, you know, I went to university, and it's like, well, you can't finish an undergrad. You need to do a master's degree because you won't be make enough money if you don't go on and get that that next degree. And that's how my life kind of unfolded. It unfolded like it was supposed to, but not, not how I wanted it to. And so you and were, no as regrets. a younger person, vulnerable to other people's ideas of how you ought to go forward very much, whether it's because you believed them or you wanted to please them or whatever the cause, uh, that really, that really pushed you in a certain direction at the start, yes? Absolutely. And, and I mean, I look at the universities um, that are just, you know, busting with kids who, who after four years really can't go out and get a job. But they're like, oh, I don't know. I, I wonder what percentage of them really, really want to be there or there because that's what you're supposed to do. And, and I really, that's what the power of pressing pause is about too. It's like, make sure that like, the best question is like, are the, are the choices and decisions you make every day getting you, moving you towards your goals and dreams? Like, are they aligning? Do they support what feels good inside you? They could be good decisions, but do they support how your heart feels? Because that's important. And, and so what was your dream? Do you remember what you were actually dreaming of before you went in the direction people thought you should? Well, you know, I went from wanting to be a hairstylist to wanting to be a dentist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to wanting to stay on a farm and be a farmer. Um, but it didn't matter what I wanted. The thing I was going to do was get a university education because my parents didn't have one. And so we were all getting one. Um, and we were given lots of really colorful options of, of vocations we would have if we didn't go to. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, uh-huh. if you want to be they, doing that for the rest of your life. So they sort of gave you the impression that, that whether or not there was anything about getting an education that drew you, that was what you must do in a sense. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's an uncommon um, situation or scenario for a lot of, a lot of people. 
You follow that path that you're supposed to. I mean, let's just think about the, the, the typical path, right? You go to school, you get a job, you, you know, you have a, a, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and then you, you, get married, you get married, and then you get a mortgage, and then you have some kids, and you pay off your mortgage, and you wait till you retire, and if you're lucky enough, you get to enjoy your retirement. Like, that's a typical life. Well, that's interesting because, uh, you know, if I think about my own life, the curveballs have made it much more interesting. For instance, realizing that in 1970 or 71 that I was a lesbian, for instance, that threw that whole thing out the window at the time. Uh, now I think LGBTQ people can still have that same picket fence idea about their lives. But at that point, you couldn't. And I wonder what you think about kind of when when the universe throws your pre- preconceived notions out the window in some way without your permission. Uh, I do find those moments have grown me the most, the ones that um, are so unpredictable and um, take me in directions I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, I... I you know, I don't know how to say this. Like, I wonder, had I been in your shoes, what, how I would have turned out because I was such a pleaser, you know? I just did the things that everybody thought you should do, and I had this burning desire to do different things. So I, I have such great um, admiration for people who at a young age embrace their heart's desire. And I think that you, you're few and far between, and, and, and you're brave, and I don't know. I, I love it. I, I love that I, people yeah, do that. I hear you, but I want to I say I did not feel brave. I just felt that it was, it was an incontrovertible tr- truth about me. Um, yeah. <clears throat> You know, I'm looking I, at you I, through I my eyes. In fact, so. I felt I felt quite scared. But oh, I'm sure the truth was the truth. If you if you understand what I'm saying there, um, yeah. Well, you were authentic <clears throat> to yourself, and I don't think I was. That's where <clears throat> the braveness I think comes in. From my yeah. eyes, looking back at my life. Uh, you know, I work a lot with cancer, and. I haven't done a study or anything, but it seems to me the people that have faced a previous identity crisis of some sort, they came out or they lost someone important or, you know, something shook their life to to the ground. Um, They do better with incorporating uh, being a person with cancer. They do better emotionally. They catch up with it quicker. I haven't, I haven't seen any studies about that. It's just a subjective impression. But um, I'll bet that, for instance, uh, if you again needed to make some changes, uh, you you probably would come to them a little bit uh, more fluidly now than previously. Would you think so? Yeah, yeah, I would. Because, you know... Like, so you, you said that you felt scared and, um, and of course, like those are all the emotions, but you were authentic and you were like, you wonder about disease. They talk about diseases, dis and ease, right? You're, you're, you're at odds with something inside of you. And so you are sick. And so, um, 
I think that part of my breakdown that led to my, to my eventual taking the three to 30 months off was the fact that I wasn't living an authentic life for what I wanted. And it doesn't matter what that thing is. It's not authentic in us. It just doesn't fit. And mm-hmm. you have to live with anything that fits. And we're lucky now that we're becoming such a more embracing world of understanding that we're all having to be authentic. A little bit more, I would say, yes. There's that, yeah. that word is out there a little bit more, isn't it? Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> and would you say that the people around you, having gone through that transition with you, have been able to, I find, you know, people come to my office to work on change. That's what generally happens. And um, some people in their lives can can move with the person and some people really can't. Did you have that kind of experience where some people just uh, couldn't make the change with you? Um, not so much because mine, mine can be like, within my own family, perhaps, um, everybody's kind of stuck with it, but I'm, I'm more established and my kids have left, you know, like they're not young anymore. So it was a bit easier, but, um, it's a, it's a bit easier, but I find people coming to me though. And I'm just thinking back to where I just said to you, I think you were brave and, and you told me what you thought. And it's like, people come in there like, you're so brave. Like I, I admire you. I, I wish I could do that, but I couldn't. And I look at them and say, I really didn't have a choice. The only choice I had was I wasn't going to live feeling so miserable inside of myself, looking so happy on the outside and feeling so yucky on the inside. So I really, I got to the point where I didn't have a choice either. It's like, no, I'm not going to live that way. So, I don't know that I even noticed if anybody stayed with me or not. I'm just so happy now. Forget that. <laughs> like, I'm just so happy. <laughs> I might be projecting there a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, that's interesting too, because when you when you really get in touch with that moment for you, where you had to make a change that was frightening, uh, that's kind of how it felt to me. Really no choice. It just happened to happen when I was very young uh, for various reasons. But um, that that's familiar to me. You just, you know, you have to. There's not, not a way around it in a sense. So that's familiar to you, huh? It is. And, and you know, and that's what I want to say to people who, are, who have that, you know, that sense of knowing that you're meant to do or be something other than the life or the person you are, and that it's okay to, to accept that and to still love who you were. Like I said, I have no regrets because any, anything I would change wouldn't bring me in this moment, and it's exactly where I want to be. It doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean I enjoyed it all, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't because I can't anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just matters where I want to go and to keep focusing on those, those feelings, those qualities that I want in my life. Like I want to feel freedom. I want to feel peace. I want to feel compassion. And if I keep focusing on that, that's where I'm going to go. You go where you're looking. You go where you're feeling. This may be a slight change of subject, but one thing that stands out in your books is sort of the sense of living in honor and living with a sense of the presence of, of the person or pet that you've lost 
And I wonder if that's something that um, that idea that there are uh, that there's support under you is that a meaningful idea for you yourself that um, you know you don't talk as if you've had uh, a, a kind of deep, profound, horrible loss, but still the idea that some people talk about it as the ancestors or, you know, that there are beings that that stand in support of you. Does that have power for you? The thing that has power for me is, is it go back to the things that we think about and that we're focusing on. And since none of us know 100% sure what happens, like we, it's just not for sure of any of this. We just all have these ideas and these beliefs. Why not believe something that makes you feel better? Because once you're feeling better, again, everybody around you feels better, your life gets better, and you get back to focusing on the qualities of your life that you want to experience. So when you talk about that supporter to think like imagining that someone's still with you or imagine that you can live in their, like shine their light, that's where it comes to believe. If you can believe something that makes you feel better and you don't have any reason to believe that it's not true, then why not believe it as long as it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't hurt anyone and it's legal, then, then do it because <laughs> it makes everybody feel better. And, and I think that just thinking about how I would want my children to grieve me, should I be taken at this exact moment is the way I should grieve myself. And so I think we need to turn it around and ask ourselves, what do we want them to think about us and how would we want to tell them to live and, and have that freedom? And sometimes we have to tell ourselves stories to get that far. Like, you know, it's a process. You said that. It'll take a while till you're ready for, for this book. Well, if you can get there a little bit faster by letting it come through you and having anything that makes you feel better, you're going to heal better. It's like, it's like trying to heal a broken leg without a cast. Mm. I don't you know. know. There's, like there's, I, there's kind of another aspect to that too and I'll and I'll uh, lay it out and maybe we can talk about it when we come back because it's almost time for another break um, I I find that I don't really care too much what the absolute truth is about how we exist if we do after we die and you know all of that because I have such a sense of present relationship that it doesn't make a big difference For instance, every week when I sit down to do this show, I'm honoring how much my wife loved life. Um, You know, nothing taught me how precious life is like watching her be sick and die. And so whether she's somewhere, you know, seeing that or she isn't, the effect is the same in me. And I, I really like to hear what you think about that when we when we come back. Um, just how much does it matter what we believe? Um, doesn't it come to the same thing anyhow? So uh, we'll come back to that as soon as the break's over. And to, to find Melissa Lyons, you can go to melissa-lyons.com to find me. You can go to my website or the Good Grief Post page. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Melissa Lyons, an author and a person who helps people go towards the lives that they truly want to be living. And before the break, Melissa, we were talking about um, kind of whether it matters what we believe about afterlife. You know, your books sort of assume an afterlife and it, it almost feels as if um, the reader is being talked to by someone who's who's gone. Uh, and yet, I got the impression from from you, and I certainly would agree that whether or not we believe in that doesn't substantially reduce the impact of those people in our lives now. And I wondered if you could say what your perspective is on that. Don't think it it matters what we believe. What it what matters is how we live. So if we're living a life that's really sad and we, we can't move on from our grief, then we need to find things that we need to believe or we need to change what we're thinking and believing to move our life back to 
a life that's the one that we're supposed to have, you know, with joy and gratitude and love. And um, what, what you just said about the reader's being talked to by the person or the animal who has left, and the purpose for that is that, that is, it's, it's, a, it's a letter of permission. It's a letter of permission to do what you need to do to live your life. Because I think that sometimes people die and they haven't left the people who love them permission to live again. And so this, these books give people permission to live again when they haven't been given that. But some people have been given that gift. And those people probably don't need the books. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I, was, I was telling you on the break, and it's, uh, it's relevant here, that uh, I was given a lot of permission. Part of that was the amount of time that my wife and I had to contemplate the fact that she would... Uh, the the astronomical odds were in favor of her dying first, which which is what happened. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes that reverses, which is incredibly difficult. But um, in our case, she was ill, I was well, and she died. And being aware that she would die, she gave me an incredible amount of permission. Um, in fact, sometimes a little bit. Um, stridently so like uh, she said um, I I really expect you to love again because we've learned so many lessons about it and you don't want to waste them Uh, you know you're too young to not love again you need to do that and I was so I could not imagine it first of all and then I said to her um, I can't imagine I said you know, directly, I can't imagine it ever being as good as our relationship. And she said, maybe it will be better, which I consider the most generous statement that's ever been made to me by anybody. Um, wow. So I think that does make a huge difference. If people are listening who are who are ill, if you can bring yourself to give that kind of permission for the life that will be lived beyond your life, uh, boy, it makes such a profound difference it really does and you know when the book first came out and I didn't really know not being a person who could talk about grief with any level of um of education or background or experience I didn't know what to do and they took it to one hospice and they actually used it with patients and that was the, the decision of that specific hospice and they found that the families and the person who was dying were so much better off because they had those difficult conversations that they hadn't had, like the one you just described. It was the person who was still alive, couldn't find the words, saying, follow your dreams, live your life, look for hope, like shine a light for me, meaning go be happy because I'm not going to be here, so be happy for me, with me. Imagine whatever you need to do, but, be, but, be, but I want to I leave you with love. My, my wife now... Uh when her father was dying, he, he, uh, they had, there were eight children in the family and, uh, he, he asked them all to come over to their house. Uh, and he individually blessed each one of them for their life going forward. And that, that is such a meaningful experience in her, in her life that he did that as he was dying, uh, and I think gives her a lot of courage in her life. You know, she has her father's blessing for, for anything she does. 
Yeah, and you know, it can't, it can't be underestimated. <laughs> Sorry, it can't be underestimated the power of that. It, it can't be, but you know, there are there are off, an awful lot of times where it's not that case, or it's the opposite, and that's where I feel like um, what we talked about. Then, does it matter what we believe? Well, it does matter what we what we believe if if we're not getting through it, and that's the opportunity to imagine what would your loved one have said to you if they had a chance. And mm-hmm. if you can't imagine yes. what that is, or you're stuck, then read this, read these books, and make your own mind up about how they would how we, how they would want you to live, and it gives you that permission. It's it's interesting what you just said. Sometimes it's the opposite, and you were talking about, you know, sudden death and 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 deaths in which people um, don't talk about it. But it also would apply to the very negative things that sometimes people say uh, and and leave that stamp on you. Um, and you have to kind of reinterpret or um, find a way to bring another meaning to that or live live against that notion. Uh, I've heard many stories of very cruel things that people have said on deathbeds that are, that are then sort of blanketing the person in, in the opposite way. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that um, that would take special effort to kind of say, no, I'm not going to live accordance in accordance with that. I'm going to uh, defy that message and really find my best life. Yeah, you know, um, I've only had one instance where I, where someone who had had my book told me that, that the relationship was bad and there's none of this, none of this memory. And my advice to her was, and again, this is just my own lay person advice, not from, not from research and education, but I just think there was a time in everyone's life where there was love and you just had to go back to that one moment. I, at least I, I hope that there's, I mean, I suppose there's an example where there was a time where there wasn't, but Somebody hugged you and kissed you and, and on the forehead as a baby, hopefully. And you just have to go back to any of those moments if you have them, you know? Yes, there's that. There's also, I think, understanding the damage that led to that for that person and trying to connect with an, a more essential aspect of them. Because I don't really believe that yeah. we're born, I don't believe we're born cruel, you know, by and large. Um, yeah, but uh, it isn't. It it is bigger work sometimes to put those mes- messages aside, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's where the compassion and all of it comes into play. I, it, it would be lovely if everybody had a, a story like yours. I mean, not that your story was lovely, but if you have to have that story, what a beautiful way to have to experience it. I I. I, I guess I would call it call it the painful lovely, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. the best of the worst kind of. It, uh, yeah. I no, I feel very lucky about that. Definitely yeah. for the That's- time to process it, and for someone who is willing to talk about it, and for all the help we received, lots and lots of help mm-hmm. and support. So yeah. I would I would wish that for. Anyone, I, it's hard for me to picture how we could have done it without that, honestly. Yeah. 
You know, getting now that I've I've done this, of course, I seem to like you probably. I talk about death all the time, or I talk about dying, and and you know, at one point, my husband said to me, like, like, why, like, why don't you get tired of talking about? It? It's like, I it's I don't know why people don't want to talk about it. It's something that we're all going to go through, and we should really be prepared for it ourselves and the people around us. Like, it's the one thing that we all get to know that we get to do. So why don't we talk about it and make it easier for people? Because we don't know when it's going to happen usually. So why don't we have a great plan for the one thing that we know is inevitable? But we don't. We ignore it. And that's what I'd love to change. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, yes. In fact, I I said this, I think, last week on the show that a couple weeks ago, my wife said, um, you know, maybe not everyone wants to talk about death as much as you do. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so we have to find our people to to who are willing. Yes. Uh, so so we have oh, yeah. we have folks to share it with. But um, I, there are lots of cultures in which talking about death is is thought to be a way to keep life um, lively and full. Uh, mm-hmm. You know if. If, uh, like my daughter said, if you only have this one wild and precious life and it's short, what do you want to do with it? So that intersects with the other work you do, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. I was just thinking, she needs to write a book. <laughs> She's an interior designer, not an author. But <laughs> <laughs> She's got a it's, great story. She needs to find a writer to tell her story because you need to write indeed. a book. Indeed. Tell I'll tell her you said so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah. I mean, people it's, need to hear it. Uh, well, and she's not the only one, um, you know, that that has that perspective that we make something out of our experiences if we if we choose to, that can be quite um, meaningful and lively. Yes. Yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice, it's a choice. and that is and, a great place easy. to that. That's a great place to leave it for today, Melissa. We've run out of time. Wasn't that fast? <laughs> So <laughs> I hope people will go look look at your books and the other work you do at melissa-lions.com. Thanks for being with me. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks. Next week, I'll have Lisa Schultz. We'll be talking about her book, A Chance to Say Goodbye, Reflections on Losing a Parent. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.